Welcome to the Bonfire. Exploring Magic with Two Modern Witches. I'm Corey. And I'm Detta. And we have a very special guest in the virtual studio today. We say welcome. Thank Take it you. away. <laughs> so is it a heat wave down where you are as well? It's warm enough. <laughs> it was almost 100 here yesterday. Today is like 85 and it's still, it's too hot. It's a haunted air conditioner on your bingo list today. <laughs> It is now. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Hello. Hello, whoever else is here. <laughs> well, hi. So Anne is a daughter of the Pacific Northwest, and she works and reflects the lush forest of Oregon. And if you didn't hear that, you would know that after you read her book, which you are going to want to read her book. Anne is an Oregonian lover of old trees, the desert, and the national, and is and is a national park enthusiast. When she isn't writing or reading, she can be found rambling through the woods on an adventure with her husband, son, and dog named Lucy. She is the writer and producer of the Cold Coast Radio Podcast, dedicated to the missing and unidentified persons of the Pacific Northwest. You can visit her website at www.anne.com orny.com and follow her on instagram at trees if you please and we are here today to talk about summoning spruce so you're going to hear me talk for just a couple more minutes and then i swear you're going to hear ann <laughs> so summoning spruce which you've heard about before on the podcast if you've listened before is about Josephine Swell lives in a magical community pinched between forest healing from clear cuts and a logging town gone bust Freshly dumped and back living with her brother and pot-smoking grandmother, Swell has accepted a job with the Rose Council. It's now her job to follow up on illegal magics practiced within council territory. But when the body of a young woman is found inside the boundary of the Maybach Woods, the fragile treaty between those who protect the forest's magic and loggers is tested. Swell must follow the trail of dark magic to find the killer before the home she loves is cut to the ground. And it is as compelling as that sounds. It is so fabulous. It's such a great mystery. It, and I, if you love mystery books, you're going to love this. Does so it take I, place? Does it take place in Oregon? It does. Yeah, Yay! it was inspired yeah, by Oregon. Yeah. And it, it's a made up place, but mm -hmm. like Gravity Falls. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is it's a made up place in theory, but it is inspired by it's inspired by real places that I interacted with and experiences that I had that really started me writing again. I hadn't written in a long time. So that was one of the things we were going to ask. What is your origin story for becoming an author and being drawn to write about magic? By the way, y'all, if you didn't pick up on that, this is a magically filled book. It it is also has a really strong and important message for right now as far as the environment goes and trees and also 
if you happen to be a witch, you will recognize some of this stuff, even though it is not witch specific. It is magic specific. So you will, if you're a witch, you will like this. <laughs> so yeah, what is your origin story? Um, I wrote a lot when I was, you know, in high school, middle school, and I had been writing, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, a fanfic for Clan of the Cave Bear. Okay. Oh, and um, I read so much fanfic, Anne. I have like 15 tabs open right now. <laughs> I mean, this is like fanfic before I knew what it was. It was before the internet and I was, I wrote it in a journal and this journal was, I wrote in a journal and then I would pass it back and forth with my best friend at the time. Oh um, but what I didn't know was she was letting other people read it <gasps> and she made fun. They, they made fun of me, you know, because I'm like an awkward kid and I'm writing, you know, about whatever I was being, you know, a teenager learning how to write yeah. and that like totally crushed me and i don't even think that she knows that she did that but i like stopped writing i was like maybe 15 or 16. and then of course like i wrote angsty poetry in college you know sure, sure. Yeah. yeah women's studies minor writing angsty poetry and then <laughs> i was working in a hotel doing marketing on the oregon coast the marketing manager was like you should really be a writer because I was doing all their promos and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I like whatever. And I kind of made a goal for myself. I'm like, I'm gonna write something and get it published. Just like a poem in a local magazine or something. And so I wrote Life Pushing Through, which was like my very first poem. I was like, oh my God, I can do this. And so we moved down the coast. I was away from family. I was trying to be a part of the community. It's this little tiny town. Should I tell you? I'm going to tell you. It was a little town called Wheeler. It's it's a tiny little town on the Oregon coast. And above the town, it's kind of built up on a hillside. It's all logging property. Oh, wow. It's all forests. You know, we were outdoorsy people. We would like, you know, go hiking and stuff. But I never really thought about, you know, how close forests are to neighborhoods and towns and stuff. We got a, a plot in the local community garden because I was trying to make friends. And it was an all organic plot and we got a notification um, just kind of casually in our email from the city that the lumber company was going to be spraying an aerial spray they emailed us on friday at like 6 30 p.m and it was going to happen monday morning anytime after 6 a.m and there was nothing that we could do oh my gosh and i had never experienced that i was like what why what so uh you know i started like you know internet research like what kind of chemicals are they putting you know what are they spraying how are they applying it and it's you know from helicopters how they're applying it it's kind of just like the air has to be right the current in the air has to be right and then they just drop it so i panicked we covered our garden with the tarp because we're like oh yeah that should work but all the you know the the water comes from uphill so it just felt really hopeless and kind of helpless. And when we went back to the garden after they sprayed, even though I had contacted local government and everybody was upset trying to get it to stop, I could still smell the chemical um, as I'm like eating the vegetables, you know, like the snap peas, you know, and I'm like, this is bad. And so that's me trying to make sense of it and talk about it and write about it. I, I wrote about it. That's amazing and sad. <laughs> yeah. And oh pretty standard behavior unfortunately yeah yeah they get you at the end of the day on the friday so you don't mm -hmm. have any time to grease any sort of bureaucratic wheels before right. monday right 
I don't know if I, I'm just going to tell you, I, you might hear me say that a lot. I don't know if I, no. <laughs> so I reached out to our local representative who I'm going to keep nameless, but people can put two and two together. Who's now running for governor mm. of Oregon. And I was, you know, an idiot and I didn't know my experiences with this person was always positive. And I reached out to them and they called me right back and told me that they were concerned. They showed up to the town meeting nothing was done i mean it was it was you know it was all for show it was it was politics and so that was also part of the reason why i was like i need to work this out i need to talk about it you know i need to figure it out and just work it out of my body if that makes sense yeah and give it a place to have its voice reading the book i was really moved by the fact that it it felt very infused infused is the wrong word it was a palpable feeling of spirits of the forest, sp the spirits that you create. And I'm not going to talk too much about the plot because I don't want to give anything away. I mean, you feel that coming off of the page through all that energy that you put in it. And that makes a lot of sense about what's going on. So that I just have to ask, is this person a Republican by any chance running on the because Oh, it's going to give it away. Oh, I, oh, okay. Uh, they're running independent. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I think I kind of like your governor right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that this is a pretty hotly contested race this this go around. Yes, it, it is. This particular person is, uh, it's getting, they're getting a lot of backing, a lot of financial backing. And I don't think they're necessarily, you know, a bad person or a bad choice. I want to be honest with that. I just, I, I went to the wrong person. <laughs> we, keep, we keep getting into politics the last couple of things because, oh, I didn't announce. We are recording right now on june 27th if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks we for the last year <laughs> well yes but it, we're a little bit hotter on politics right this instant because of everything yeah. that happened on june 24th and then before that in texas and before that in buffalo new york and before that and before that and before that. yeah i guess we do which i think is a witch's places in politics but let's get back to the book so that's a really deep inspiring you've got to be the voice of this forest you have to be the voice of people who can't stop government from doing that how or corporations or corporations mm -hmm. your world building is out of this world would you and if if those of you who i don't i suspect probably most of our listeners listen to fantasy or listen or read fantasy or urban fantasy uh and all miss even mysteries have to have even if they're set now they have to have world building but when you're creating another world full of magic you have to be very specific or readers catch you on oh that doesn't work why does that work and they start to question i mean mm -hmm. i even do that with star trek how how did you i don't think this gives away spoilers would you talk mm -hmm. about would you talk a little bit about iron heart and the row and blood magic those are the real deep there's something else that i really want to talk about but it is a total spoiler so i can't <laughs> <laughs> it happens towards the end of the book it's such oh it's such a satisfying end. I'm, I'm glad to hear that oh satisfying i'm glad that you thought it yes, was satisfying but that's, that's like my worst fear as people are like Meh. but it's <laughs> 
people are open for the next book, for the next in the series, or at least I hope the next. Yeah, the, the intention is to write another one. I'm I'm halfway into a, a different one right now. Could you so, talk about how you came up with the row and tell uh, audience members uh, what what that is if they haven't read the book yet? Sure. After my experience with Ariel Spraying, I really wanted to create like a refuge where the land had already been taken back. Um, it was already part of a, you know, a community. It was no longer um, owned by corporations. And the sole purpose of that land was to never be logged again, to never um, be used for profit or as a commodity. It was protected by people who could access its magic. The, the book you know, it, it is full of magic, different kinds of magic. There's, I don't want to say like, you know, it's good magic and bad magic. Like there's not that dichotomy. It's more like there's magic that ethically accesses energy and it doesn't hurt anyone or anything. And then there's magic that changes the caster and it takes a life. And it's not necessarily uh, bad, but it's illegal in this world. Yeah. And and that's not a spoiler because it happens right away. You're <laughs> right into that right away with Josephine. It's mythical then, this, mm -hmm. but I want it to be real. I want to have places that are reclaimed. Well, I've noticed that when I'm writing in my writing process, I am more inspired by place. I've always kind of considered myself an animist, kind of, you know, give personality and believe that everything kind of has a spirit and everything's living. So when I spent so much time in these woods, which are very real, I was inspired by, you know, specific places that I interacted with every day. And they do feel magical to me. They feel very special. That's really where my stories start from. And I just kind of sit with them and kind of let them bake. And those stories kind of like rise up and then I write them down as best as I can. It took me a long time to write this book. It's not a very long book, it's 250 pages, but it took me a long time to write it because I was learning as I went along and I you know, workshopped it and went to critique groups and let people rip it apart mm. um, because I wanted to get it right. That is really hard to go through. It is. And not everybody treats your world tenderly. You know, I mean, there's different kinds of critique and some build up and some build down. And I don't do well with people tearing me down. Not where I grow. It's not where most people grow. It, right. you, I mean, you can take you can do you, you can criticize somebody without tearing them down. Mm -hmm. You can say, I don't think this works. Can you explain why it works? Maybe you need to explain that in the book. Exactly. I just want to say how incredibly like brave and cool and good and rad it is that after what happened to you when you were a teenager, you let anybody read your shit ever again to critique it or, or offer feedback. Like I mm -hmm. am a delicate little flower <laughs> and I don't know that I would have been able to do that. I do it on stage and like screw up on stage in front of people. So like mm -hmm. maybe that's similar, but I, it does not feel the same to me. No, it's totally different because it's like it's something that you created or you channeled and, you know, the product is completely something that you made. Um, you know, it's it's something that you created. And I got to a certain point where I realized, like, I wasn't going to be able to grow unless I took that tentative step of, you know, really like letting people take a look at it. And there were some people that were absolutely horrid in that process. And that had nothing to do with me. And I had to be able to discern that. And that was a skill. 
I was going to ask, actually, how did you decide what to keep from the feedback and what to throw away from the feedback? So the main thing that I have learned about accepting critique and processing it is if one person says it, you can, and maybe you don't agree with it, you can acknowledge it and thank them for their feedback. But if another person and another person brings up the same kind of theme or the same issue, then you you might have an issue there and it's something that you should address. But um, just because you let people critique your work doesn't give them access to change your work. You know, you do it yourself, you are the creator, so. I had a playwriting teacher, Corey, I don't know if you took him as well, who was really good about that. He's like, you cannot rewrite. You can say what you liked about it, and you can say what didn't work for you, but you don't get to rewrite their material. You can't give them suggestions, or at least that was my experience. Corey, I saw your face there. I There were other problems in that class. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we went to the same college together, even though, as yeah. I've said over and over, I'm a little bit older. A couple. Of years <laughs> can, can I ask what college you went to? Uh, yeah. I went to Western Washington University. Go Vikings. Excellent. I started workshopping and I started trying different methods. And I noticed that the Amherst method was the best for me because it separates you from the work. Mm. So it's in these small little groups. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but you, you read or you, you write there using prompts. And then you can share or choose not to share. And then people can critique, but they can only talk about the work. Mm -hmm. And they can never address the author directly. It's the narrator. So it like allows people to write about tough things because they don't have to answer questions about their personal experience unless they feel comfortable. Oh, I like yeah. that a lot. Yes, it was a gem. I promise I'm going to get back for all you witches <laughs> and magical people listening right now to the magic and ask questions about that. But I have to point something out because I know we have a lot of theater listeners and a lot of theater people. I, I was actually a theater major. Uh, <laughs> and now yeah. you write about magic forest. Yeah. I went to AMDA in New York right before 9-11. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was a weird, crazy time. But I, I had come home right before. So I was watching it on television. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. That was an intense time to be there. On best seller rank in the Kindle store, out of like over 2 million, Anne is in the 13,624 in Magical Realism and 34,499 in Women's <laughs> Sleuths and 69,172 in Women's Sleuths on the books. And anything under 100000 for audiobook narrators usually makes money. So you should think about putting this out on Audible. I'm just saying. I didn't know that. <laughs> Those are great numbers, Anne. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. wow. And, and for good reason, too. Can you tell us a little bit more without giving away plot stuff? I love what you said about, and I think we talk about this a lot, there is no bad magic. There are only people who use it in ways that they have to decide ethically how they're using it and if that's all right. I am not really hot on love spells for people that don't actually love you or you're trying to lure away. I personally don't find that ethical. Other people probably do. So that's what that kind of reminds me of. You talk a lot about dark magic and this mm -hmm. blood magic. Can you talk about that without giving spoilers? And you kind of mentioned it 
at, at the beginning, right? That that's what they do, mm-hmm. but they have to take a life and it transforms the caster. When I was workshopping the book, I really wanted to be mindful of how I was referencing anything that was negative that didn't have a negative connotation for any groups of people or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and that was really something that I had to go through and like make sure that I was doing wrong. And so when I was ethically, like when I was thinking about the dark magic or the blood magic, I think it was really kind of just this symmetry of taking mm-hmm. without giving without reciprocation kind of like you know what i feel like a clear cut is taking without replenishing and in theory they do but it doesn't look the same and i think that if you're using any kind of magic that takes without giving it eventually could possibly change you in theory i love that and that's what i that's absolutely what i got from that you communicate that so well and gosh i just love your writing so much this is the book that i started reading and i didn't want to put down and we were in the middle of stuff in my house and i was like i need to get back to this book and then when i finally was able to sit down i read it all in one night <laughs> that's so good I, yeah <laughs> it is it is a page turner you were talking about the magic that like takes when you mm-hmm. cast it and that made me think of the dragon prince i don't know if you've ever watched that cartoon mm-hmm. but there's magic that comes from like the earth but human beings have never learned how to wield it without causing harm uh whether that's like crushing up a bug or something bigger whereas like the other creatures of the land the elves and stuff like knew how to access that and that magic without causing harm it was a thinly veiled allegory, but it was a great cartoon. And so I'm just imagining, like, I can't wait to read your book, is what I'm saying. I can't <laughs> wait to read your book so that um, I can see how that's represented in there. I, I think it's the same kind of theme that you're touching on. It's not sustainable. Yeah. In the long run. And just seeing how certain practices that use natural resources are really not sustainable was something that I was awakening to really. Mm. And it felt personal for the first time for me. Uh, And I mean, it's embarrassing to say that, but it's true. There needs, no, you don't need to be embarrassed. We, (laughs) we all find this path at a different time. And there's nothing like growing up in logging country Mm -hmm. to make you not realize how fucked some of the logging practices are. (laughs) I didn't really know. To be fair, you know, my family are loggers. When I say my family, I mean on my mother's side, you know, not directly, like my dad's not, you know, logger or anything like that, but I was around logging communities and I live in a logging community. And honestly, I still get nervous talking about my book or my beliefs in a small town, specifically here, because it's a really like polarizing issue which i'm sure we all have experienced lately but it's something that people take very personally because that's how they feed their families Mm -hmm. and it's a part of the culture here and the natural resources here are a part of our culture when you threaten that people react 
They just react viscerally. That's the word I'm looking for. You're probably not old enough to remember this, Corey. I know you're not. Uh, well, maybe you are, but I don't think so. But do you remember the spotted owl controversy up here? Yeah, of course. Oh, mm -hmm. you do? Okay. I Yeah. You were a baby when that was. But like we learned about it in school. Got it. Got it. And of course, that's, you know, forks. Oh, I hated <laughs> that book. Yeah. I hated that book, which is like not a shade against anybody who loved that book. If you love that book, I love that for you. I hated the chokehold it had on my life for 72 hours. That's how long it took to read all four books. And it just like saturated my brain. And afterwards I was like, I feel like I just took some kind of drug. <laughs> Oh, yes, forks, toilet. Yeah. I did a show for a long time called Timber, and we toured in all those small logging communities. And I played the character who was listening to all four points of view. I was the person who was listening to the business person, to the logger, to the environmentalist, and to the consumer. That's what the play was about. And it was a going around and teaching. And we went to Forks. I remember this so specifically and performed. And it was theater of the oppressed. Did you ever study that, Anne? Yeah. When you were in mm -hmm. school, and uh, yeah, Corey did, but Anne didn't. It's a great way to get people to talk. So two people had to come up afterwards and volunteer to be a logger and an environmentalist. And so an environmentalist came up and a logger came up and our, our moderator goes, great, switch places. You're going to do the other person's argument because that's what theater of the oppressed is. And they started arguing and we got approached by the environmentalist wife later that said they haven't spoken. They were best friends they haven't spoken since all this started and they're making arrangements to have coffee next week and try to talk this out and listen to each other i don't know what happened i i would love to know what happened to that story but what i learned when touring and i bet this is what you experience it it's wild to me how many loggers love the forest i mean deeply deeply love it and think that they are doing what's right for the forest they think they're managing the land well mm -hmm. is do you experience that with your yeah your town or is it all yeah horses um so i was really scared to give this book to a few people that were like first in line they're like please i would like to buy this and i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and i uh, handed it to them and i was like i talked to my husband i was like oh they're gonna hate this they're gonna be so mad at me and then i got the nicest messages from them really? and i got you know they ordered more copies they told their friends they shared it and they were like this reminds me of my grandpa this reminds me of going in the woods with my grandpa you know and i hope that my book honestly talks about it doesn't address current logging practices but i hope that it shows that like there is a place for logging it just has to be done ethically just like you know magic in this book there is a place obviously for magic but it needs to be done ethically and sustainably and so i i have run into people who've read the book or you know know that i'm writing about it and they're like well it's renewable i mean what are you going to use for toilet paper i mean we're just going to replant it and i'm like number one bidet number two <laughs> number two like just because you know we need it doesn't mean that we have to do it the way that we've been doing it for so long there are better ways other countries do it differently other states do it differently we just need to have be able to have a conversation about it hemp yeah, yeah awesome. exactly hemp makes bamboo awesome toilet paper bamboo makes awesome mm -hmm. toilet paper wow but days uh, can i just say 
I love bidets. I love bidets. I mean, I've only had a bidet. But I'm going to get one. The worst thing about having one is now being terrified to go places that don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) When when uh, quarantine started or lockdown started, I was like, get a bidet. Like, order that right now. Right now. (laughs) Get stock in bidets. Do it. Do it. We just ordered our first compostable toilet. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. I'm about it. I'm very, very excited about it. I've, we've been talking about it for a long time. Everything our- I know about them is from the show Maine Cabin Masters, hmm. uh, where these folks who live up in Maine, Mainers, renovate old cabins and stuff on like the lakes. That sounds awesome. And they, they install a lot of like compostable or like those kind con- incinerator toilets. Mm-hmm. Oh, which are fascinating. Seem dangerous, but apparently they they've, apparently they've <laughs> locked it down the design, but uh. I'm not a designer. You know, I'll just push the button. You just tell me which one. You just tell me. <laughs> I love the whole talk about sustainable and sustainable magic. I think that's language that we need to move into more parts of our life. I love Mm -hmm. talking about it in terms of witchcraft. I love talking about it in terms of social justice because I talk about the choir, you know, make sure you're taking care of yourself when you need to take a breath, step away, let somebody else do it for a while when it comes to social justice. But being sustainable in that work and in witchcraft and everywhere, it's a little bit different than moderation. I think it's just much more specific and mm-hmm. I love it. And know that you're not the only person that's accessing this energy yes. for whatever reason. I really liked uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kemmerer. I think I'm saying her name right. Because, you know, a lot of her uh, stuff talks about, you know, you don't, I, th- I think this is from her book, but you don't take the first flower that you see. You don't see, you know, you don't pick from the first patch. Right. And I, you know, I studied herbalism for a short period of time. And like, you know, going out on nature walks and, and wanting to pick up medicine while I'm out on a hike, I don't just take the first thing that I see because you have to, you know, you have to be aware that like it could be the last one also i'll see other people not be so ethical you know uh, there's a really great stinging nettle patch nearby and every year someone goes through and just cuts them all no. um and you know or the, you know the for mushroom hunting people will you know take them all and it's like can you just leave some like can you realize that there's other people coming behind you well that are that could need it and then we won't have nettles next year or uh, fern. Are you talking about fiddleheads? Fiddleheads or fiddleheads. Yeah. yeah. It's just I, like- one cool thing about nettle, though, that I've experienced is that if you do trim them, they keep growing. I was thinking fiddleheads, not. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you yeah. wait too long for nettle too, like um, if it comes to seed, mm-hmm. it's not good for your body. So don't, don't, don't take that. <laughs> oh, and. Short disclaimer. <laughs> what are you, you went to AMDA. Mm. ever end up in LA or trying to pursue acting Mm -mm. anywhere no no I had this like moment on the subway um I was supposed to be at class and I was like I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to be running all the time it was just too hectic for me so I I never ended up in Los Angeles I, I never auditioned I like left before it just it wasn't for me but I definitely was meant to be there when I was, it was a, a wonderful experience. New York felt like a little city to me, like a small town. Wow. I mean, I'd go places and see people I knew, and I loved, I loved living there. It was like a, you know, 
it was concrete, but it was still like beauty. Yeah. Yeah. A different kind of beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about Urban Magic by Diana mm-hmm. Rachel, who talks about that and how to access the magic of the city because magic is everywhere. I, I teach acting and my wife and I, and my wife is also in theater and we always joke about the fact that acting is the gateway drug to just about <laughs> everything else. And we used to say, you know, it was a gateway drug to playwriting or being a mm-hmm. tech person or going on to become a writer or a leader in politics. Or, I mean, you can see where theater artists go everywhere and writers like you, so many writers take acting classes and stuff and then just develop these amazing characters and build worlds really, really well because of their theater training. Mm-hmm. Also a really great ground for witchcraft. Yeah. I mean, you have, if you're going to act, you have to like build a backstory for your character if you're a method actor. And so like, you really are creating a world. I just want to know what, um, if you're able to talk about what you're working on next. Uh, it has another environmental theme and it's kind of, it's just a cozy mystery I've been working on for a while. I just want to have, I just wanted to have some fun. So. I love the phrase cozy mystery. Yeah. And I cozy fantasy. Cozy fantasy is, pro- is popular now. And that's kind of up and coming. What is what does that mean? So uh, I think I'm not an expert, but like for my interpretation, cozy is basically there's no overt violence, you know, that that you can see. It's kind of happens off screen or it's not graphic and there's no overt sex, but it's implied. Okay. When they talk about it at writers conferences, they refer to murder. She wrote murder. She wrote is the cozy mystery. But it can still be edgy, you know, and it can still, you know. Suspense. Suspense. Well, I have to say Angela Lansbury is edgy. Edgy old lady. Yeah. Yeah. Where is she these days? Oh, (laughs) she was in New York right before the pandemic. She was doing a little night music. Of course she was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I hope she's bubble wrap somewhere. I hope she is. I love the phrase cozy mystery and cozy fantasy because to me it implies like all the best parts of like a hallmark mystery yeah, like a hallmark suspense or quote unquote thriller because it's the hallmark channel Mm -hmm. like the life the small town life you were wrapped up in a blanket drinking a cocoa and then a mysterious person knocks on your door telling you about a relative you didn't know you had like that kind of thing. Yeah, or you own a bookstore, but you found a dead body. What do you do? <laughs> I'm going to write that. <laughs> I love it. I know exactly what that feels like. There we go. <laughs> We're going. I love, I'm, I'm going to say one more thing about what I love about your book, and then I do have a couple closing questions. But okay. one of the other things I love about your book, I always want people to write what they want to see in the world rather than focusing on what's not working as the main subject. I don't think you can get away from what's not working. And there is murder in this. And you you do talk about what's not working. But you've created this world that has been taken back away from corporations and they're living mm-hmm. on the land. And, and that's like, oh, yeah, I want to go there. And when I try to describe to people what I want to read, they never understand that. And now I just get to say, you know, a good example of that, it's summoning spruce and you're going to love it <laughs> and it's engaging and it's really good writing. And it's exactly the kind of books that I want to be reading because we can send our energy toward part of the beautiful world you've created that I want to move toward. Yeah. 
Thank you. So thank you. And same as Corey, I was going to ask what you're doing next. Uh, do you have any appearances anywhere in the world where you're book signing? Can you say when your next book is going to be released? Or- uh, in theory, the next book should be released just before Thanksgiving next year. I think okay. that's the plan. You know, sometimes I binge watch Netflix. So... <laughs> Who among us, you know? <laughs> so it's, it should be out in, in the fall sometime in November. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Maybe October. And you will go back to this world, you think, Summoning Spruce? Not, no yeah. Part, no I do have other characters that are kind of waiting in the wings that I've already written. One's a tree sitter and one is a logger that will kind of be introduced. I think there's, you know, definitely more stories to tell in that world. And I, I'm so glad that you felt like it was kind of like a vacation or a safe space, a place that you could enjoy. Cause that's really why I wrote it. Mm-hmm. And for, for me selfishly, and I'm glad that other people are feeling that and feeling safe there. Isn't it wild how, when you create something with you as your target audience, other people show up and are like, no, I'm your target audience. <laughs> you picked me and you're like, I wrote it for me, but I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. While you're here. <laughs> and any appearances coming up? So I do have um, a couple appearances through the Northwest Independent Writers Association. There's different events um, in Oregon that I'll be at selling my book in person. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but they are listed on my website, which is anorney.com. Awesome. And we will yeah. definitely link that absolutely in show notes and on Instagram. So and, and in our show notes also appear on our website. So you can find them on our website as well. And thank you so much for taking the time out to do this with us because you're very welcome. We're huge fans. I was super stoked to just be here. I was like, oh my God, it's Corey Dana. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I'm an advantage because I feel like I know you, but like you guys don't know me because you don't listen to me all the time. <laughs> I start listening to your podcast though. Yeah. I listened to a couple podcasts about that. I listened to one about um, missing and murdered indigenous women. Mm -hmm. And I listened to a really horrifying one that took place in Canada. Is it Finding Cleo? Yeah, Finding Cleo. There's Finding uh, Cleo and then there's a sequel, but they changed the name. And so it's kind of hard to track it. That was really, those were really good. It was recommended to me via MFM because Georgia talked about it. And I was like, oh, I got to listen to this. And then I did. And it was the kind of listening that's like, important but also like hoard but i'm excited to add yours to the list uh it covers like different people specifically in um tillamook uh, pacific and clatsop counties when i was doing that first season the second season which eventually will happen will be more pacific northwest i'm excited to listen to the podcast very Me much too. Well. and we will hopefully be talking to you again when your next book comes out yeah we'd that love to have you back be- that would be awesome. Thank you for meeting with me. Thank you for thank you for meeting with us. And I know <laughs> that we you. I know that we rescheduled like twice. So thank you so much for being so rad. To be honest, when uh, the email came through that was like, "Hey, we're a little concerned about marketing retrograde," I was like, "Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everything's breaking." <laughs> this has sort of become a running joke in our life, but we are cursed when it comes to guests, mm. like. I don't want to give power to this thing and I work magic every time, but every time we are a little bit fucked. But the last <laughs> two have worked out okay. Yeah. We've ended up on Zoom both times. 
but <laughs> but yeah. that I just just for a little extra mojo, I put some uh, black tourmaline, some tiger's eyes, <laughs> like bless you, uh, rainforest jasper. It's all here. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> when the sound didn't work at first, I was like, oh no. <laughs> Us too. We're going to need some other stone. <laughs> oh my God. Got to ring some bells in here. <laughs> I was like, I was like, it's like a priest. <laughs> I did smoke blessings before I called y'all today. <laughs> I swept the space with my small ritual broom. You can, I don't know if you can see it, but it it's works. hanging on the wall back there. <laughs> nice. Oh. Well, we will see you next time for sure. Yes, and I will listen to your next podcast episode. Oh, and thank oh, you. Oh, I wanted to say something. <gasps> yes. Um, so uh, it's about the Oracle episode. I have one Oracle deck that I have used forever. Colette Baron Reed's oracle the magic of the oracle or something i used it in college on the dl when i was super christian fundamentalist and i still use it because they had it online so it wasn't traceable mm. nobody knew i was using it and i still use it to this day and it's the one that i always go back to and i'm kind of like you know kind of mad about it because like, i bought all these other oracles and i keep going back to that one yeah i have innumerable tarot decks and i go back to the same four every time there's something about the art in this one it's really michael parksy which is like my favorite i had them all over my dorm room these these and so it reminds me a lot of that but it's uh, a female artist and a female author so that's important to me too i'm on her website right now do you have it uh, no but i almost bought it when i was in port townsend <laughs> There is something about this artwork. Wow. It, I'm just, it, I'm obsessed with it. And it's, and beautiful. it's uncanny. Yeah. What, so. what is it called? It's called The Wisdom of? The Wisdom of the Oracle Divination Cards by Colette Baron reed Oh, there yeah. it is. There it is. Okay. Oracle. Yeah. The red yeah. one. Got it. Got it. Wow. The, the artwork is so beautiful and the writing's always spot on. She has different ones, but this is the one that I always go back to. I mean, we're talking 20 years. Well, that's that can't be right. 15 plus. The, the artwork really got me. And then the writing is episode. I feel like reached a lot of people in a very real way, mm -hmm. which sounds very self-congratulatory. But my friend texted me and was like, well, thanks a lot. Now I have the modern witch Oracle coming to my house. And I'm like, you're so welcome. <laughs> you were just the conduit. It was the yeah. cards that need to be right. self-congratulated. You were already going to get it. We just nudged you. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. cool. So I was like, I need to tell them. Thank you very much. It's nice to meet you both kind of in person. <laughs> yes. Same. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. Let's do, uh, let's spark her up. <laughs> yeah. 420 blaze it. I, you know what? I'm going to just lean into the fact that I say that. I said it earlier on the podcast. It's so funny. We're just going to spark it up, y'all. I used to say it at the beginning and Corey would laugh every single time. I'm I like, still oh. laugh every time. It's but, still funny. But it's better than saying, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call out. No, I'm not. I'm going to spark you up, everybody. We're sparking up Anne, who we just. Anne. Go to her website, sign up for her newsletter. Um, also, there's merch. 
I just saw a tab that said merch. So spruce merch. Oh yeah. There's a <gasps> there's a cute shirt that says Bigfoot believes in you too, and I must have it. That is what she was wearing today. The spruced goose. I want this Bigfoot shirt so fucking bad. Y'all, I'm not joking. You're going to love the book. You are. It is so magical. And you recognize things. Oh, I wanted to bring up to her now that I'm looking at my notes and she's left. She (laughs) talks about banana slugs. And if you are from the Northwest. Oh, nanners. I, I have to please remind me when we have her on next time, we have to have a long discussion about banana slugs. Well, so do. here's the thing. Slugs, slugs, they're squishy and I, I love everything, but I hate it when I step on them because I go barefoot a lot outside. They're squishy. Oh, they're so squishy. You can hurt them really badly. And I just always feel good, but they're gross. They're slimy. I, they are. And I have to pick them up. But you know what I'm doing a lot? I'm sorry. We, Almost missed our garden time here. Let me sneak it in here just a little bit because of the banana bugs. I've been picking snails out of my garden off of my strawberries every single freaking day. Yeah. Take them over to the St. John's wort, which is invasive in our particular yard and say, here, eat these instead. Go to the roots. Anyway. Yeah. The thing, uh, the thing about slugs, I feel okay saying they're gross. And the only reason is because they are evolutionarily designed to be unappealing as a defense mechanism. So, mm. like, they're supposed to be gross. Well, some people find them cute and keep them as pets. Well, I love their funny little uh, little antennae guys. And I have some friends who have snails and slugs and, like, a terrarium. And I just don't want to touch one. Whenever I have to move one, I pick it up with a leaf and I move it. I, I won't touch them. Well, go check out her merch, Spruce Merch. This is amazing. Yes, Bigfoot believes in you. The Spruced Goose. Oh, is that all? It's just That's it. She is just delightful. So go check her out. Read her world. You will be a happy witch or a happy magic user or happy pagan or heathen or whatever you are. Or a happy environmentalist. Yes, or happy environmentalist. It really, and it evokes the Pacific Northwest. She does it so well. So beautiful. So beautiful. I'm so excited to read it. Cool. So excited. Well, everybody, until next time. Be well. Act with intention. And don't forget. You are magic. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you are so inclined, follow us on our socials, which is Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Bonfire Babble Podcast. You can also follow us or join us on Patreon at Bonfire Babble Witches on Patreon and our website at bonfirebabble.com. If you're into snail mail, you can send us that at P.O. Box 16341, Seattle, Washington, 98116. And if you want to do that electronic thing, we're at bonfirebabblepodcast at gmail.com. Please also, if you have a moment, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps us out. It also helps other people find us. Yeah, and if you do it on Apple where you can actually write something, we will shout you out your name. Thank you again for listening. Bonfire Babble Podcast recognizes that we live and record on the traditional lands of the Duwamish tribe. We honor their past and present stewardship of the beautiful land and the life-giving energy they provide. To learn more about the tribe, go to realrentduwamish.org.